1: If you feel there's more to life than iPhones and iPads and mindless consumerism, if you're open to receiving information in all forms in any number of ways, if organized religion, organized political movements, and any kind of collectivism doesn't just quite cut it for you, if you engage in critical thinking, if you think for yourself, if you have peace and love in your heart and Jack Daniels in your bloodstream, If you believe that seriousness is a disease, if you're curious, then come, let us go on a journey together as we explore the Outer Limits of Inner Truth. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show, OuterLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan Tonight, we have a very special guest, and that is world-famous wrestling legend, best-selling author, stand-up comedian, and the undisputed king of Christmas, Mr. Mick Foley. For those of you who are not familiar with our program, what we do is forensic soul analysis. We trace the origin and trajectory of a person's spirit throughout the history of time. After our initial interview with Mick, we are going to play interviews with four globally respected psychic mediums and one of the world's best astrologers, who will each offer their analysis – these individuals on the show are known as the Virtues. Each of the interviews with the Virtues were recorded separately, and none has heard each other's analysis on prior to tonight's broadcast. You should know that despite Mick being a world-famous wrestler, just about everyone on our team never followed wrestling, and I'm very glad that they didn't. The reason we are featuring Mick Foley on tonight's program is because we feel he is amazing and one of the most unique individuals in the history of humanity. We feel he's got one of the largest hearts of any person we've ever come in contact with. We feel that Mick Foley is an amazing teacher. Here is a gentleman who never has to work another day in his life, and here he is traveling to do stand-up comedy, to visit sick children in hospitals, to consult victims of domestic violence and sexual abuse, to help others in need. He doesn't have to do any of this, and yet he does it with passion and enthusiasm and tirelessly. For those wrestling fans out there, which I am definitely one, How many guys did Mick Foley put over the years and kickstart the careers? I mean, how many historical matches did he have in his career, and how many of those matches had a positive impact on you? How many times did he brutalize his body out of the love for wrestling fans worldwide? I mean, how can we forget that match with Taker in 1998? It's absolutely insane. And he did it because of the love for the fans, because of the love of the art. What impact did Mick Foley have on your life? I ask you that. In my life, he's been a... Great motivation and inspiration to stare down fear and chase down dreams. Mick has taught me a lot, and I have so much love and respect for him because just how nice he's been to my father and our family. In 2004, it was an honor to produce his very first stand-up comedy show that he ever appeared in. And having worked in comedy for 10 years, Mick has everything a spectacular comedian should have. And he will probably reach unprecedented levels of success there as well. But before we start the interview with Mick, I want to address the legions of Foley and wrestling fans on WrestlingInc.com and ProWrestling.com who are overwhelmingly reacting negatively to tonight's report, um, You know, saying it's all BS and psychics aren't real and they don't exist. i got to tell you something. You might find this interesting, but I'm completely in awe of you because of your convictions that you absolutely have this conviction that they aren't real and they aren't legitimate. I don't have that kind of conviction about anything. Um, you know, do we have one life? Do we have multiple lives? Do we exist outside of our physical bodies? I, I really don't know. And I'm not sure if that can be proven nor disproven to anyone except through the eyes of the individual. I'm just one guy open to open minded and interested in receiving information in any number of ways. And if you are too let us now begin tonight's interview with Chapter 1998, Mr. Mick Foley. Joining us now is a legend, a living legend, a professional wrestler, one of the most famous professional wrestlers in the world, a best-selling author, an unbelievable human being who does a lot of work for charity, a master manifestor. Please welcome to the program Mr. Mick Foley.
4: Well, hey, thank you, Ryan. If I'd known about the Master Manifestor, I would have had a different nickname.
1: Oh, <laughs> I've had so many <laughs> other nicknames, Nick. Let's go right into it. Over the course of your illustrious professional wrestling career, you've been brutalized. You've been set on fire. You've been piled, driven through concrete, and the brutalization of your body appears to be acts of love because you, you want to. You always wanted to give your audience a beautiful performance, yet the same time you're brutalizing your body and they're cheering upon you how do you kind of equate that how do you put that into a clear perspective that you're brutalizing your body the people are cheering it yet you're loving it and they're appreciating it do you think there's something a little uh interesting about that
4: i'd say yeah interesting would be one of the uh adjectives you could come up with mm-hmm. uh you know um <laughs> i am <was, laughs> uh psychological experts might have uh some reads into why someone would uh, go to such lengths for acceptance uh it has been, been said that uh, you know people uh, who you know who who have no issues would probably not need to dress up as a superhero in order to compete in a fantasy type of, of warfare and seek the approval of uh total strangers but uh that was something I you know, d I d you know, one of my ambitions and I chased it and uh did as well as I possibly could. Uh and unfortunately part of the way I did that was through the uh uh
1: brutalization
4: of my own body.
1: Right. And um it's just to amazing that you're doing that because you, you like you did it with love and respect and I'm just curious, you've you've had you know made thousands of matches and which match you think of in your career that you felt um, what was your best match ever you felt like it had the highest energy the best energy and uh, the best audience reaction to as well
4: oh man it's hard to say uh which one you know consists of all three because um you know audience reactions can be gauged by how important uh the the match has been deemed to be by those you're working for And so, uh, you know, I've been in matches like with Stone Cold Steve Austin where the, you know, reaction was just phenomenal. But you weren't sure if it was you or just the fact that he was so popular. But uh, the match that sticks out in my mind was uh, called Backlash from 2004. It's a very young Randy Orton. uh, And for me it was a match of personal redemption where I uh, was coming back from my first match back in four years uh, where I, f- I felt like I had fallen short of my goals in uh, my WrestleMania match, where I teamed up with The Rock against Evolution, and I had uh, really one chance to redeem myself, which I thought I did at
1: Backlash. Okay, and in wrestling, in the re- industry, there are a lot of wrestlers who uh, they use substances, and they, they push themselves so hard, and unfortunately, a lot of them um, don't live to be at a very old age, yet, you're somebody who's very different you 're somebody who's um doesn't seem to have ever really gone through that, and you have a wonderful family you have a family of four children and you 're doing all these other things. Do you feel there's any reason why you 've been able to go about a different route in terms of your career you 've been able to branch out and do more things like run out to write children 's books and do a lot more and um been around been healthy for a longer period of time Is there any um secret to that
4: well i haven 't been healthy but uh <laughs> i've been uh, uh i've been fairly um successful at a number of different things, but I think part of the reason I've been successful is that I've dealt with the uh, failures to, uh, that accompany success, you know, that uh, you learn to um, gauge success on your own terms so that, uh, like, a uh, a weak-selling novel like Tietam Brown is no less important to me than uh, a book like Have a Nice Day, which, which uh, was a New York Times number one bestseller. So uh you know you I've learned you don't know unless you try. That probably the greatest lesson there was from um uh from writing that first book. Um, have a nice day. Where you know it was the idea of a of a celebrity of any type, you know, actor, uh, athlete, especially a wrestler writing his own book was thought to be absurd. And yet uh you know I was able to pull it off and do it in a way that people enjoyed.
1: Uh, came out I mean I've read that book maybe I don't know 20 30 times it's a phenomenal book highly recommend it highly highly recommend it. especially if you're in the bathroom you will you'll spend the extra half hour to go through the chapters it's just fascinating and you just really I thought it was amazing that you wrote that book by hand you actually you you didn't actually use a typewriter didn't you write that all that in handwritten?
4: Yeah, yeah I did all my books by hand um there's you know example of um um you know of uh Yeah, working within your limitations, and uh, you know, I was very limited uh, because of you know my uh, lack of (laughs) uh, computer skills. But uh, where there's a will, there's a way, and uh, we found a way to get that book on paper and uh, make it a success.
1: One thing I I enjoyed about the book is that you're talking about an instance with Jake the Snake Roberts about how he became this devout Christian, and at the same time, you know, he was uh, he's still having a good time and partying and. Do you find it interesting when um people in that particular industry um suddenly discover religion? Do you find it interesting that they that they tend to discover it after they've had all the good times like okay, well now I'm going to now I'm ready for Jesus. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they don't do it before they're
4: ready. <laughs> I guess I don't know. I think that's true for everybody, but I think uh probably, you know, they they don't I don't think anyone's going, okay, I think my good time's just about over, about to hit the bad stuff now. I think they come to that realization after they've had a, a taste of some really bad stuff. And that was the case for Jake. Uh, actually, one of my uh, finest and most fun moments on stage was telling that story about Jake the Snake Roberts and then having him, you know, quote, unquote, surprise me. <laughs> at the end of the show. So it's something like I'm really looking forward to doing in uh in California. He and Jim actually Jim Duggan are gonna be there and it's like, oh yeah, this is gonna stick out in my mind as a personal favorite because we'll be able to do something really special there involving Jake. All right,
1: now you've um, of all the people you've worked with and wrestled over the course of your career, can you tell me uh do you have a couple of wrestlers who you feel like you've had like a previous life with that you have a natural tremendous rapport with? That you feel that you guys have you know known each other for longer periods of time?
4: Wow, right? I think that's for you guys to decide. Uh, I don't think that's ever crossed my mind that hey, I think I've met this.
1: You know, well, just maybe somebody you've had like a, you've had a very tremendously strong chemistry with from like the very beginning, <sighs> with wrestler-wise.
4: Ah, let me see. Uh, uh, you know what's funny is that I, I tend to uh, uh, make friendships with the uh, the female wrestlers easily. Um, the, uh, <laughs> they don't feel threatened at all by me. I don't know if that's a, a compliment or not, but I take it as one. Uh, and uh, they seem to find me be very easy to talk with. Uh, so someone like a Trish Stratus, who I had an uh, immediate friendship with, or Brie Bella, who I felt uh, a very strong uh, connection to. Uh, Despite um, you know the change in um, the difference in age and and despite there being no physical <laughs> physical chemistry, <laughs> uh, I'll speak on her behalf. I believe it's safe to say there was no physical chemistry <laughs> for Not her it. towards me. But just someone who you who's uh, who's uh, who seems like an old soul, who seems like uh, you know kind of like an earth mother who's been around and is teaching lessons uh, here in this lifetime. Uh wrestler-wise, you know, I've been I've been lucky, you know. Maybe The Undertaker and I knew each other in some other life because uh, we uh, definitely connected and uh, helped each other's career at a, a vital point in time, which was 1996.
1: Okay, And um, there's another wrestler who you've had a pretty good back and forth with, and that's Al Snow. And you've pulled a lot of pranks on him throughout the course of your career. And I'm curious to know if you feel that the, one of the reasons why you existed in this reality w- was to be hired by God to truly test Al Snow's faith in humanity.
4: (laughs) No, I believe I will probably come back another lifetime to pay for what I've done to Al Snow.
1: (laughs) What's some of the worst things you've ever did to him, like best pranks you ever did to
4: him? uh, You know, nothing. I guess the time in Montreal where I talked Bob Holly into exposing Al in a way that wasn't, wasn't flattering to him. In front of seventeen thousand people in uh, the cold uh, late November hockey arena, Canadian Air was probably <laughs> it was a was a good it was a good prank, and he took it really well—a uh, lot better than he would have taken it had everyone in the audience had a, a camera with them like they do now. Uh, so there was very little visual evidence that incident had taken place; only lives on in our in our, our memories now. <laughs>
1: And In the course of your career, I think people who know you um, in and outside the ring, I think they probably could all say that uh, you are a really strong communicator. Uh, You communicate make people laugh when you're doing stand-up comedy. You communicate effectively when you're an author of a book, writing four really great books. You're communicating, communicating effectively when you're in a wrestling ring and able to emotionally provoke and entertain and captivate the attention of thousands of people at a time. I'm curious to know how you've been able to do that. How are you able or have been able to really captivate the attention of, an, of a lot of people's attention all at the same time? And how are you able to emotionally get them riled up to either support you or to dislike you? You've played the role of hero. You've played the role of heel very effectively. course, uh, you know,
4: I, I think I was actually helped out by the fact that I did not have a uh, particularly good hand dealt to me by Mother Nature you know, from a physical standpoint, and that I I would have to connect with people in other ways if I was going to have any chance at success. Um, and so I was constantly thinking of ways to connect, uh, constantly thinking of ways to make my promos better, my matches better, to, you know, if I was, if I was a bad guy, I was like, how can I strike fear into the hearts of <laughs> a of the individuals, if it was a good guy, how can I endear myself and make them care about, you know, my trials and tribulations?
1: Right, but uh, there are a lot of people, I guess, who are trying to do that, but how are you able to do do it on a massive scale? I mean, some people, they they go out there. What what have you found is a common ground that some people, I generally get riled up about or get passionately supportive about? Why would uh, a large number of audience want to support you? Why would a large number of people want to be against you when you have so many other people who are in your profession that are trying to do the same things? What were you able to do? Um, if you were to put your body aside, that you feel it kind of maybe gave you an edge, or maybe gave you a little bit more of an inside track with that audience.
4: Well, outside of that, you know, constant thinking and uh, you know the desire to succeed and learning the basics. Uh, um, I think he, what it comes down to is that indescribable it factor. You know, that I was not a guy where most people say, "Oh my God," you know, like I don't walk into a party and become, you know, the party doesn't revolve around me. I don't have that type of, uh, you know, Liberace charisma. <laughs> I don't know where that phrase came from, uh, but I think when people have a chance to see me on their television, uh, that they would eventually, you know, take a uh, an interest in uh, in my future. You know, eventually, and this is something I talk about on my current show. People would see past whatever veneer I was putting up as far as being a bad guy, and realized that I was, at heart, a guy who was working really, really hard to entertain
1: them. That's really great. You're able to get them over. And speaking of uh, an example of you working really hard to entertain people, and it's been talked about thousands of times, um, probably one of the most famous matches in the history of professional wrestling in 1998, Hell of the Cell match. You were thrown 16 inches, 16 feet off the top of a steel cage, crash landed, separated your shoulder. You came back, you climbed back on top of the cell, and you got choke slammed and what fell 18 feet to a hard mat. Which, this actually question comes to my father is what was going through your mind the moment the, the thing fell? And the moment you hit the ground, what was going through your mind the entire time that whole process was happening?
4: Ah, I was thinking it was an awful idea to uh, to have started the match up on top of that uh, cell. It was an awful idea to listen to uh, Terry Funk who suggested that I start the match up on top of the cell. It was an awful idea to lie to Mr. McMahon and The Undertaker and tell them that I had been up on there and was completely comfortable with starting the match on the cell. So. Everything was, <laughs> was uh, everything was uh, uh, a negative at that point. Uh, uh, but uh, in an odd way, you know, I compared that match to uh, the journey of the Titanic. In that, anyone who says you know that it was the greatest match of all time would be uh, somewhat akin to referring to the Titanic as the greatest cruise of all time which it was not, but uh, I think in both cases, the the journey of the Titanic and uh, the Hell in a Cell, you know, the inspiration is drawn from the uh, courage of the survivors.
1: Yeah, I mean, you got back up, and most people didn't ever expect you to actually go back and finish that match, and you you did, and you said you had a bad feeling, and it's regarded as, you know, one one of the greatest matches. I think it was the 2011 WWE's number one, oh my god moment, where everyone was just completely shocked, and I think people were actually shocked that you you put thumbtacks on, and for people who don't know Mick Foley Mick Foley I think was one of the main major innovators of hardcore matches and you were throwing on what three or four thousand thumbtacks that that match and i don't think oh
4: somewhere I, we didn't count but there was a uh, there was quite a few um <laughs> yeah there was, there was yeah there was quite a few uh tacks out there, and I landed on a lot of them
1: okay you've you've uh, you've talked extensively about your your passion for Christmas, and you've worn this red funnel shirt, I don't know how many years, 20 years, and you seem to be really in touch with the inner child within you, and I wanted to ask, what are some of the benefits of of putting your inner child on a pedestal and kind of carrying it on your shoulders? How do you feel that by keeping the kid inside you alive and vibrant has, um, I don't know, helped you and made life more enjoyable for you?
4: Ah, well, you know, I think, um, I'm guessing. But, uh, you know, the love for Christmas and uh, thinking back to those uh, days of innocence with uh, 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 Santa Claus was uh, one of my fondest memories and something I want to pass on to my kids, something I wanted to relive as I got older and spent uh, more and more time away from home. Uh, And now as my kids have passed through that magic age, um, we are finding even more – Joy in uh, in Christmas. Um, We are, uh, you know, already working on our our uh, December plans to uh, spread joy uh, through the portrayal of the iconic figure of Santa Claus, and uh, in my son's case, his his top elf. Uh,
1: That's great. in terms of uh what would you say would be some of the the greatest moments of your life, maybe if you were, say your 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 top four or five moments like moments where it just completely like you know blew you away just like your your happiest moments
4: oh this is one of them right now. I just found out that uh the Hallmark channel has a half miss merry son
1: oh wow <laughs>
4: <laughs> so uh june i right, i'm gonna have to get, definitely get on the uh Hallmark channel that's a b c family. I'll go on uh, and then record some of those before I leave today for, for two weeks. I'll uh, go ahead. Oh, my greatest family moments. I mean, you got to rule out the births. That's mm-hmm. too easy to go to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, being inducted in Madison Square Garden um, was was certainly one of my finest moments. Uh, being inducted in the same venue that I used to hitchhike to and take trains to, or I saw so. Snooker dive off the top of steel cage. That's got to be up there. Um, I would say a very unlikely moment, Uh, my last show in uh, London, England, where I absolutely positively insisted on pushing through uh, part of the show that everybody with common sense told me could never work. And uh, when I saw it unfolding and saw it actually working beyond my wildest dreams, I realized it was one of the greatest moments of uh, my life. Um, uh, Meeting Tori Amos. And uh receiving <laughs> a hug that <laughs> I'm convinced transferred some type of energy to me. Uh and made me a better person. Uh in, uh, in July of two thousand and eight was uh uh was a great moment for me as well. And uh and really uh not to overdo the musical thing, but um having some doubts and and being only seconds away from uh turning around and going home despite having had my Beard bleached out into a white color to portray uh, Santa Claus, uh, but then making the decision to follow through <laughs> in a show where I ended up singing "Silent Night" uh, <laughs> with Nora Jones uh, turned out to be, uh, you know, a moment I will never forget. So there's there's a few oh. fine uh, fine moments for you. And I'm sure, uh, and, I, and I believe, like some of the nights that I spent on the uh, uh, Rain Hotline helping um, survivors of sexual violence uh, as an uh, anonymous volunteer, uh, were some of my finest personal moments as well.
1: And speaking of that, you mean that's one of the organizations. Can you please tell the listeners the website for that so they can learn? Yeah, more?
4: Yeah, uh, website is Rain R A I N N dot org. And uh, it's a great website uh, for a great organization. And from there, you can uh, you can donate, you can volunteer, you can learn more, or you can uh, find uh, anonymous help. You can go on the hotline. Uh, there's also a chat room for survivors, so they they can support each other. So all of it uh, stems from Rain R A I N N
1: dot org. And uh, just curious about your life, have you ever had any paranormal experiences? Have you ever seen any ghosts or have you had any uh, out-of-body experience or things things where you consider it to be just beyond the current normality of day-to-day living?
4: Not that I know of. Uh, Not that I know of, but I I did date a young woman who could channel spirits and... uh, (laughs) you know, it, it was either the real deal or, or she should have been, uh, you know, on a stand collecting an Oscar for a, a performance because, uh, you know, she claimed to be a, a Russian woman a couple hundred years old. and. Certainly looked and sounded like one, you know, when the channeling came upon her.
1: And was she telling you anything about your career? Was she telling you that, um, oh, you know, Nick, you're gonna have, you're gonna be the hardcore champion one day? And
4: no, 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 she never, she never went <laughs> that far. Uh, uh, through a book called The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, um, you know, I did, uh, I did a lot of inner soul searching through that. Uh, through that experience, and even when I went to uh, uh, Memphis for my first job, like most of the reading I did was along those lines, you know, uh, not not so much self-help, but, uh, you know, bringing out a better you and learning from, you know, lives and experience we may have had in the past. So uh, I do believe, you know, that many of us are, uh, are not here for the first time and that there are lessons we are learning, you know, in each uh, visit, we make in uh some some life form
1: so what do you think of some of the lessons you're here to uh, to learn
4: oh man you know I, I think it all boils down to uh you know it's uh uh they do unto others as you would have them doing to you and uh you know uh there was a rabbi hillel who uh had the famous quote if not now when and uh also he said you know uh what, you know, what is objectionable to you don't don't do to others you know like it, it's just pretty much the same thing that uh you know the, the golden rule uh says as well
1: and speaking of that you're really passionate about reading and you know read a lot of books i think i understand that you also have a flair or a passion for history what is your favorite historical period of time and have you ever uh, felt connected to any particular period where you wish you had uh, been around to live in
4: oh man uh you know i was a big uh, civil war uh fanatic Uh, You know, I did a lot of reading about the Civil War. Uh, I'm not sure if I I would have chosen to live during that period, uh, just because, you know, medicine was at a primitive state where, uh, you know, almost every gunshot wound to a limb uh, was solved with the elimination of that limb, you know, to where, you know, body parts were literally piling up out windows. Um, I think we tend to glorify, uh, you know, days gone past, and find out that the good old days probably weren't as good as we thought they were. Um, But I think that comes down to just remembering the highs and lows in one's life, whether it be in the ring, uh, on the stage, uh, or just living a day-to-day life. You remember the things that made you happiest, and there are always happy memories uh, in childhood, uh, just as there is uh, sadness. So um, I think we all tend to think of, The times before ours as being better than the ones we lived in, Um, but no, I've never had a yearning to uh, you know to live in a different period of life.
1: You've had it. And speaking of it, you've had four amazing children, and I'm sure you've probably learned a lot of lessons through raising children. So we're just curious: what are some of Mick Foley's top three parenting tips for all those parents that are out there? Tips that work. First of
4: all, I've probably made as many mistakes as any. (laughs) <laughs> as any parent, uh, you know unconditional love is uh, is one of them. You know, I did I wrote a pretty extensive article about having a talk with your children as it pertains to uh, you know sexual assault to let kids know that you will always be there for them. That uh, it's strange that we take vows when we get married for better or worse, and that, uh, that so many kids grow up feeling that love is conditional, you know, that their parents won't love them at their weakest moments. So, um, I uh I suggest that they uh have a type of relationship that allows them to think they can come to their parents about anything. Um, and I uh you know urge parents just to take advantage and enjoy all the little things in life because it really does go by very quickly.
1: Okay, and in the course of your career, it seems that if you follow where you're going, you seem to be evolving and growing on a consistent basis. You're always doing something new and something challenging. When you weren't, after you got out of wrestling, you had this great career, then you were a commissioner, you're an honor air personality, you're an author, um, you're doing all these different projects, and now you are doing stand-up comedy. And I remember watching you do stand-up comedy, I believe, for the first time in 2004. I think it was that cancer benefit. And you were, you're a <laughs> phenomenal. You're naturally phenomenal. So I'm curious to know, like, You've reached such a pinnacle of success, and yet you're, you're devoting yourself to stand-up comedy. What is it about stand-up comedy that that drives you? Why are you so passionate about it?
4: You know, you're, you've been in the field, so you know you know that you know being a storyteller is part of being uh, stand-up is part of uh, stand-up comedy. Uh, it re- usually requires an explanation, you know, to say, look, I don't I don't tell jokes; I tell stories. But I'm driven uh, by the same reactions that I used to get when I was wrestling. Except, um, you know, I'm older now. Uh, I don't need to shock people. You know that I, I tell my stories from a position of, uh, um, you know, experience and uh, and warmth, as opposed to a position of anger. You know that some, you know, some comics may choose to work from.
1: When you were a little bit younger in your career, before you even got into wrestling. My understanding is that you've written your books, that you weren't exactly the Casanova with the babes. It, it, no, I had a it, lot
4: of, uh, shy kid. Yeah, yeah
1: they, didn't, they didn't go away. Now, was that, um, that rejection by women, did that fuel your ambition to, to become very successful? And what was your ultimate drive in being successful? Because you've replicated high levels of success in multiple different fields. And I'm curious to know how you've been able to do that. What is what is your driving force to be so successful?
4: Um, you know, again, I think it goes back to those reactions. I told the story of my Hall of Fame induction about, uh, you know, being rejected when I was, uh, um, <laughs> being rejected. Actually, not actually rejected, but having the the, the girl of my dreams uh, call me the wrong name. Uh, when we parted ways and finding that, at least for me, the antidote for that was to, uh, you know, perform some heroic feat, uh, diving off a bunk bed onto a stuffed animal. Uh, That was my way of dealing with the uh, emotional pain. And then I got a great reaction out of it. And so I found that I could uh, receive, uh, um, you know, acceptance (laughs) through... uh, suffering.
1: Excellent. And in your you know, first book, "Have a Nice Day," you describe your meeting with your wife, Colette, as uh, as being you know monumental. It was this incredible experience. Can you please describe what was going on and how did you know that she was going to be the the right one for you?
4: Well, I didn't know. Um, you know, uh, there had not been a right one, um, uh, so you, you know, I didn't know. Uh, it took some time, and uh, you know, we so we enjoyed uh, spending time together and. Had a desire to create uh, little people in our likeness, and uh, that's how
1: that uh, transpired. So, and my uh, final question is this: In um, yeah, the course of your career, you, you've you've had a, such a profound positive impact on, on millions of lives worldwide. Uh, you know, they, they, your fans and your admirers—they've they've come for this ride with you, and they're going on this next ride with the next phase of your career. So, I want to ask you. How do you want to be remembered by the world, and what would you say your contribution to humanity is, or feel it is?
4: Ah, man, um, I just as a guy who you know tried to make the world a slightly better place in his own unique way. I know there's a poem, you know, about um, uh, that was quoted, uh, you know, after you know Robert Kennedy uh, died. Uh, that I am kind of (laughs) pulling that feeling from that uh, expressed it much more memorably. But, uh, you know, hopefully I was a guy who saw, you know, uh, suffering and tried to ease it. Um, um, And, uh, you know, I don't know what else, um, you know, what else I could possibly uh, hope for
1: from a human perspective. Well, Mick, uh, it was a total honor to speak with you and have you on our show this evening. Thank you so much. And to learn more about Mick Foley, the website, is it realmickfoley.com? Yes. Realmickfoley.com. Mick, thank you. Thank you so much.
4: All right. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate it. Okay.
1: All right. okay. Bye. Uh, Mick, thank you. We'll, I'll let you know when the show airs. So I really appreciate All your time. Thank you so you much. You got it. Thanks. Right. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Joining us now for another perspective on the life of Mr. Mick Foley is globally respected psychic media, Miss Lisa Kaza. Learn more about Miss Lisa Kaza by going to her website at lisakaza.com. Miss Kaza, what can you tell us about the hardcore legend Mick Foley?
3: Um, I did my reading without hearing the interview at all. Uh, what I did get is it, it shocked me, but it's also very serious and, and personal to me. Um, it doesn't address his, his side purposes of wrestling, writing, or comedy. Um to get right right to the nitty gritty uh in a past life, to be blunt he Mick was a severely abused wife, and I felt that the the era was most definitely that of like you a know, little house on the prairie civil war era um, upon his passing from that past life um his spirit made a vow to return as well as he is today. And hence why he can he can take beatings and he connects uh, most likely connects to to women much more easily. He's got that balance between the masculine and feminine. Um, Mick, though, he's on a mission to create awareness against not just sexual assault, but also domestic violence. But his challenge, though, as his spirit's uh, foremost intent is, is to actually work with the actual abusers, to, to confront them on behalf of uh, the victims, to create change within them. So he's right now just scraping the surface when it comes to uh, you know advocating for sexual assault.
1: And what else do you see about his essence? Do you see anything else about his essence? Do you see other previous lives that kind of come to mind when you think about him or focus on him?
3: I feel that with a lot of uh, the wrestlers, like yes, and, and they were, including Mick, um... Warriors of some sort. I see them. Some of them is including Mick as being involved in wars. I see Mick as being in in uh, World War One, for example.
1: Now, what about the abuser in his past life? Does, has he ever come to confrontation with that person in this life? Does he have Does he have a relationship with that person in this life?
3: No, no. And I think the reason I think that that's the reason for his passion. Um, so his he, spirit, his spirit. it's like he's looking at it as if I can confront other abusers, well then in essence, because we're all one as a, as a global consciousness, that he would be addressing his abuser. Right, but as, you far know, you know as, his,
1: yeah, as far as his abuser goes, I mean, is, did his abuser come into this life, is his previous abuser from that last life in this life and you think he'll ever have, has he forgiven that person? Or is there a possibility that he can actually confront that person, right, and can we track that person down?
3: No, unfortunately, no. I don't feel that. No, I don't feel that he has had a connection with the, this past abuser, nor do I feel that he will come across them.
1: But do you, are you aware um, if that if that abuser is in this life right now? Is, is, is,
3: oh, uh, let's see. Um, yeah, I do feel so. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. but I don't know what they've been. I'm not being shown what they've been incarnated as.
1: Right. Is there any particular wrestlers um, that you can think of that maybe um, off the top of your head or what you're feeling that you think Mick has a profound um, brotherly-type connection with, one that he's already incarnated with previously, or ones that are there that he's had a very close relationship with from previous lifetimes?
3: Well, there's a, it's interesting you said that because I was about to say, when, when I first uh, received all this information, uh, through my tears, may I add, I was told that apparently... Um, a lot of, not a lot, but some, some of the wrestlers of today have been abused or assaulted or bullied in past lives and, and, and what have you. And I was actually given two very specific names, one male and one female, and it was Daniel Bryan and A.J. Lee.
1: Okay. What about, what about those two? I,
3: I, I do feel that um, it's very interesting that uh, Daniel Bryan has a very strong connection to Mick and it's in relation to the past life that I was shown of Mix. I feel that Daniel Bryan was actually mixed Mix child. Really? Yeah, yeah. I find that very interesting. And I, you just threw that at me just now, so I'm just hearing now, what information about the information a-
1: What about
3: AJ Lee? AJ Lee, I feel, um, was most likely a friend of of Mix in this past life. Um, she too has been through, like I just said, uh, a lot of abuse, uh, physical abuse, domestic violence, that kind of thing in the past life. So I think she went through a hell of a lot of the same as what Mick did. So they were they were comrades. And the thing is I was just told to also relay on that uh, Mick's work today of fighting domestic violence and sexual assault would be greatly enhanced uh, with the help of A.J. Lee. I feel that the two of them can work extremely well together in getting their message out.
1: Ms. Lisa Casa. that was a phenomenal analysis. Thank you so much. And to learn more about Ms. Lisa Casa, please go to her website at com. Thank you so much, Lisa.
3: Yeah, Thanks for having me, Ryan.
1: Joining us now for another perspective on the life of Mr. McFoley is globally respected psychic medium, Ms. Laura Lynn. We can learn more about Ms. Laura Lynn by going to her website at angel net, Miss Lynn what can you tell us about Mr. Foley
0: well he, he has some really interesting characteristics that has brought him into a place that he is widely respected and you know he is known as a hero and that's fantastic what I got from his past is that he did come from Germany uh where he was an immigrant about maybe the nineteen ten nineteen twenties, 1920s. And as a, a young boy, he did uh, really revere education because his father respected it so much. So he read and read and read. He was very much into learning as much as he could. And he always had a dream of being an author during that lifetime did pass rather young, oh gosh, around 40 years old. And it feels like he was around 15, 20 when he came to this country. What I got was that he ended up with some type of influenza consumption perhaps and passed at that early age around 40. And it didn't obviously take him too long to come back here.
1: Okay. And what else, do you see anything else about his energy field or anything that makes him distinctly unique or any specific um, trajectory that he's doing in this life?
0: Well, I feel like he brought brought that happiness with him again, and that's what he's to teach. I feel like he's here to really be a bright light for people who are inspiring, not only in sports or, uh, you know, looking to be greater than the norm, he, I feel like he helps people really find their inner peace. Um, and the way that they do he's doing that is by showing people that they can have extremes in life and still live it fully and, be, and to be very content and happy in that life.
1: Ms. Laura Lynn, to learn, thank you for your analysis. Great analysis. To learn more about Miss Lynn, please go to her website at angelreader.net. Thank you so much, Miss Lynn.
0: Thank you, Ryan.
1: Okay. What is Mick Foley's place amongst the stars? We're going to find that out right now by going to our astrophenom, Miss Constance Stellis, our astrologer. you to learn more about Miss Constance by going to her website at constancestellis.com. Miss Constance, what can you tell us about Mr. Foley?
5: Well, this is a fascinating chart. Fascinating. Um, first of all, he is a Gemini and um gemini is the master of uh, duality right those two twins and the myth of gemini is that one twin is in heaven and one is on earth and they can never meet so the dual personality of the gemini is always outlined he has a very concentrated chart And a difficult chart. Uh, When I say difficult, the energies that are present in his chart are hard to combine. Um, He is earth and air and water with no fire. And the earth sign uh, that is very present in his chart is Virgo. That's Uranus, Pluto, Mars, and the moon in Virgo, all in what's called a square relationship to his Gemini planets, now, both of these signs are mutable, in other words, changeable signs, so I would say that he, in his life, has contended quite a bit with body mind um issues oh we'll say issues I hate that psychology word but but uh, what 's going to dominate explosive physical energy which he has and he used professionally as a um, a wrestler and when I say explosive I mean he had to learn to channel it so that it wouldn't kind of go berserk on him and uh, then a very inquisitive and um, a learning desirous <laughs> mind of wanting to know all sorts of different um, things and parts of life. So now that he is no longer a, uh, a professional wrestler, I know he has involved himself with a lot of different um, causes and when we look at his chart we see that the sun in gemini is in the 12th house of hidden matters and this points to um our past lives as well as current life but specifically in terms of past lives there there are two things that are of interest one that he had a religious Uh, background at some point I don't think he was a recluse but I think he was very involved with matters of faith Uh, and the other thing because I know that he's been very involved with um, uh, abused women and uh, raising money for rape victims and what's interesting to me is I don't know a lot about wrestling but I think it's a pretty kind of masculine showy sport However, uh, Mick Foley has seven planets in yin or feminine signs and three in masculine or yang signs. This has nothing to do with sexual orientation, but it's the quality of energy that a person has, yin being receptive. And his rising sign is the water sign of cancer, nurturing, motherly, and lunar so I would say that the feminine um uh energy is very strong in his chart and I find that unusual because his most of his life has been kind of um in a in a very uh assertive yang sport I mean it's not boxing pounding but it's still aggressive and uh assertive and there is a uh, so in these lifetimes of um in the past when there was um faith and issues of faith he might very well have been in a different um uh, gender might have been a female um and has a great deal of sensi- sensibility towards uh towards women but you know, he knows kind of this time around how to um, uh, defend himself and defend others because uh, from what I've read and what I see in the chart, he has a very strong notion of service. Uh, Virgo, four planets in Virgo, is a sign of selfless service. So however his wrestling kind of tamed the, let's say, the um, the demons within, he's now putting it together. The other thing that's quite interesting to me is that when we look at the aspects, that's how all the planets connect, he has an overwhelming number of applying aspects, in other words just beginning aspects and this means that this lifetime is a setting up of future lifetimes. So everything that he kind of does, let's say, on the high road as opposed to the low road really reaps uh, spiritual benefits for him in lifetimes to come. He has to be a little careful with that because he has an explosive temper. And um, if he just kind of wreaked havoc with that as opposed to channeling it, which he has done, then he could be kind of retarding his his soul growth um, uh, in, uh, in lifetimes to come. But uh, he has a lot of energy and a lot to work with, and uh, I think um, it probably is fascinating to speak with him.
1: Yeah, and I did ask you that. She said something interesting, saying that he had such a, such a complex astrological chart. So when, yeah. sometimes when people say, "Well, listen, it was destined for you to make it in the stars," it seems like it was destined for him to not make it in the stars. But he seemed like he defied the destiny of the stars and did it anyway by channeling so much energy so much determination well,
5: well yeah i mean but you have to remember most people that succeed in terms of 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 good works in terms of fame maybe not in terms of money because that's a kind of different department but they have a lot of challenges in their chart a kind of ho-hum easy breezy chart doesn't get too much done
1: miss <laughs> that was a Incredible analysis. The astrophenom strikes once again. <laughs> and we can learn more about Miss Stellis by going to her website at constancestellis.com. Thank you so much, Miss Stellis.
5: My pleasure. My pleasure. Joining
1: us now is a special guest to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show. She is a globally respected psychic medium. She is Miss Lisa McGarity. And you can learn more about Miss McGarity by going to her website at com and that is m c g a r r i t y dot com. Miss McGarity, you, you, hello. What can you tell us about the life of Mr. McFoley?
6: Well, it was really interesting to listen to uh, the words of McFoley. He seems like such a great guy, and the energy that I feel when I'm listening to him is really remarkable. It's incredible. I love I love being in his energy field when he was speaking with you.
1: Okay. Now, did you feel that he has a number of... Can you tell us anything about his guides or are there any surrounding spirits that are with him that are kind of guiding him right now?
6: Well, you know, what I pick up around him is interesting to me because I don't know very much about professional wrestling, but the energy that's coming through from him really reminded me of really a Christ consciousness, That's coming through to him he is doing what he does in order to inspire other people and to overcome the physical and to let everyone who's watching him and participating with him you know imagine and believe and join in and know that they can overcome the physical as well
1: okay so he, he does it to be inspirational
6: he does it to be inspirational and i believe that from spirit there's an energy behind him that is um, really about ascension, and to me, I line that right up with, with it sounds. Corey, it sounds amazing. No, they to say me. the Christ
1: consciousness though.
6: Yeah, it's the Christ consciousness, and you can hear it with his humility and his down to earth. I'm a regular guy. I'm not, you know, not super special. I've just worked hard. He's got a really amazing energy field.
1: Do you feel that there is anyone who he may be wrestling with that he may have shared a previous life incarnation with? Is there anyone that comes to mind?
6: Well, you know what's interesting to me is I don't think that he's been a wrestler very, you know, in a previous life. That's not really what I pick up, but I do pick up from him having been a soldier okay. in a previous life, and he may have very um, much fought in more than one lifetime in different wars, defending his nation. That's the vibration I do I do feel from him.
1: Do you sense a um, or have a sense of what his last life may have been before this one?
6: Well, you know, you might laugh at me a little bit, but what I was shown for my guides while I was listening to him is that he's definitely had the most recent lifetime. He's been female. I hope he's not going to be mad at me for saying that. Uh, but I, I have a very soft, feminine energy okay. and a very noble energy, and that's what I get from him. And I do believe he was female right before he came into this incarnation.
1: Okay, and do you, do you have any sense of what what occurred? What was he was it a happy life? Do you think, or was it um, uh, maybe a life of high, more tribulations?
6: I do believe that he had a very difficult life last time around. But from a soul point of view, he suffered physically. I believe that he was in a situation where he was maybe experiencing violence. and so do
1: you think he, like, thought, he was abused? Yeah,
6: now, I do feel that, yeah. yeah. Okay. I was trying to put it nicely. But yeah, that is what I pick up from him. And what he's done, he's been able to transmute that into something that actually caused his soul to be bigger and to turn it around in a more spiritual way.
1: Do you ever, um, is there any sense that um, some of the people that he's worked with or relatives that he's had known are, are currently with him or working with him? Or um, is there anything that comes to mind about other departed spirits that could be working with him or trying to communicate with him?
6: You mean besides Jesus? Yes, besides <laughs> Jesus. <So> that's <laughs> kind
1: of cool that Jesus, is, Jesus communicates with Vic. That's great.
6: I mean, Jesus uses all of us, right? Yeah. Sorry, time, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm certain. But, yeah, no, I do have with him what to me looks like a mother vibration. I don't believe it's his physical mother from this lifetime, but there's a mother vibration. I think this could be a grandmother or a female figure from um, his maternal side. And what I'm showing while he speaks is that this woman, it's as if she has her hands right on his shoulders giving spiritual support. And I think one of the reasons he has such a, a wide appeal is because he's got a great balance between masculine energy and feminine en- energy with him. And I do feel that there's a, a female figure from his own line that's coming through.
1: Okay. All right. That's uh, fantastic. And um, the last thing I wanted to ask you, Ms. McGarity, is his energy, his tenacity, what do you feel the trajectory of his next life incarnation is setting up to be?
6: Well, if he decides to come back and have another life, because I do believe a lot of us have choice, I, uh, my sense of it is that he may go right into spiritual work next time. So he may come here as a spiritual teacher, a guru, a priest, I really feel like that's what he's getting ready to do. Despite what kind of lifetime he's having this, this go-around, I feel like he'll come back and try to reach people in a more direct way.
1: Ms. McGarity, that was an unbelievable analysis. Thank you so much. And to learn more about Ms. McGarity, please go to her website at lisamcgarity.com. That is M-C-G-A-R-R-I-T-Y dot com. Thank you so much, Ms. McGarity.
6: Thank you, Ryan. It was great speaking
1: with you. Joining us now for an inside look at the life of Mr. Mick Foley is globally respected second comedian and intuitive Miss Carrie O'Connor. You can learn more about Miss Carrie O'Connor by going to her website at CarrieOConnor.com. That's K-E-R-R-I-E O'Connor.com. Miss O'Connor, what can you tell us about the hardcore legend Mick Foley?
2: I was fascinated by his energy. When I looked in, Ryan, It's he has a major gladiator energy. He's a warrior, but I love he's got gold energy around his heart, and so he's very heart-centered. He's very balanced. I'm not surprised he's an author of best-selling books also. So he comes in here with this real strong energy of, of a gladiator. He definitely had many, many lifetimes where he's been in the front line in war, war times, I'm not surprised that he said he was fascinated about civil war. He's not afraid to go in that front line, take action, but he's also flexible enough to go in the back behind and, and guide people too. So he's fascinating, fascinating energy.
1: Wow. And did you see any um, any particular people that you think he's currently working with right now or has wrestled that you think he may have shared a past life with?
2: Definitely. When he was talking about The Undertaker yes. and he said that they, um, it was an important part of both of their careers, as soon as he said that, I saw this bridge. And it, again, brought me down to this place where I saw a lot of, um, it looks like ancient Rome, you could say, actually ancient Greece, and I saw this t- time when it looks like the Olympics or something very similar to the Olympics, and I see that there were competitors, but they also ended up in the um for the end of their competing, they they helped each other out big time. They were actually probably the architects of um, laying down the first Olympic Games. So they definitely had uh, many incarnations together. A lot of brotherly energy, and also I'm seeing them on other sides of the fence. Where a lot of times when we have a a real strong pull with somebody, we've had very good lifetimes and also we've been, had lifetimes that could have been challenging. But the major one in this lifetime, it's, it's fascinating to me that it both helped uh, stimulate their careers because they've done that many, many um, for in, many incarnations.
1: Do you ever see him as any lifetimes as him particularly being abused at all? Because I mean, he's taken a lot of abuse in his wrestling career. Do you think that is a reflection of it? Yeah, him?
2: you know, when, I, when I'm talking about when he's on the forefront, I, actually it was really kind of interesting because I saw that he was um, – Burned at the stake, I saw many, many lifetimes with him being burned at the stake. Part of it was sacrifice, part of it was, I saw him as a woman being incur- accused as a woman, I mean, as a witch, what they did over in Europe and killed 5 million people. And that lifetime, he just reminded me of that, pulled me into a lot of abuse when it had to do with fire, getting burned at the stake. And then I'm also seeing him witnessing a, a burning sacrifice to when he was connected his to his wife in this lifetime. So it's he We've, had to watch.
1: Oh, so you're talking about the the wife that he's currently married imagine now? Like he was yeah. married to her in a previous lifetime, and he yeah. watched her suffer. He had to watch
2: her suffer. He couldn't say a word. He was all tied up, and he actually had to um, kind of deny her because if he didn't, his children would be, have been killed. And two of his, the four children, were connected to that past life. So I would call that lifetime very, very charged, and they came in to have major healing with that for all of them because he looks devastated not being able to protect her when he has a very strong energy of, of protection. is like a grizzly bear where he wants to protect his, his children and his, and his wife, and he's not able to do that. He has to sacrifice her and to, to be able to, to have the kids be able to live.
1: Okay. And uh, as far as the, uh, do you feel that there's any particular spirits that could be around him right now? Does he have a particular, um, any um, spirits or relatives that may have passed that they could be surrounding him at this point? Do
2: you know if he did not meet his um paternal grandfather?
1: I don't know. Well,
2: okay, cuz I'm just seeing the grandfather's energy that looks like on the dad's side that's very very strong with him, and I also see a man that's in his age, so it's either brother's energy or somebody that was very much connected. Actually could have been another wrestler that was very he had a very brotherly connection. I don't know wrestling Ryan, so I know this guy is from his past. He actually has very blonde hair and had something with a brain tumor. Does that you know wrestling? Does that sound familiar?
1: Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. it could, could be you know maybe there's several different individuals who've gone out there and and uh, final question of Miss O'Connor is that uh, when Mick has been able to uh, is there a particular reason why you feel that Mick's been able to connect with such a wide number of people worldwide? He seems to have an incredible means of communicating with people mm-hmm. on a way that you know most of us would like to hope and dream of, but he just does it with such ease that he's able to just do it. And do you think there's a particular secret or a particular energy reading that he has or energy similarity? that would be akin to other individuals whom you've read or had a similar uh, familiarity with, personality-wise?
2: Well, you know what? He's got a similar energy to Stuart Wilde. where there's different kind of people, but Nick comes from his heart. And when people come from their heart, and he's got a lot of gold-yellow energy, so you could feel his passion, you could feel his excitement, it's contagious, and, and people just are drawn to it. It's like a magnet. We want to get to that light. He has a lot of that. Stuart had it, and he delivered his own um, humor and comedy and people wanted to be around Stewart's energy. So those people that have a lot of that yellow gold energy, people are drawn to it because it's passion, it's fire, it's excitement and just being around them, it's, it they act like a tuning fork and you get like a charge from them and they really encourage you to follow the heart, go to your heart and it gives you, it's like a great um, boost of um, self-esteem and self-worth.
1: Awesome. Miss Carrie O'Connor, that was a phenomenal analysis and to learn more about Miss O'Connor, go to her website at CarrieOConnor.com. Thank you so much, Ms. O'Connor.
2: Thank you, Ryan. It's always my pleasure.
1: And that concludes tonight's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show. I want to give a special thanks to Mr. Mick Foley. I want to give a special thanks to our virtues, Miss Lisa Caza, Miss Laura Lynn, Miss Constance Stellis, Miss Carrie O'Connor, and Ms. Lisa McGarty. And to all of you out there for listening tonight, thank you so much. To learn more about the show, go to outerlimitsradio.com peace love and beer my friends have an unbelievable rest of the week and thank you so much for listening The deals are getting hotter during the Dear days of summer. Get 0% financing for 60 months on all John Deere compact tractors. Plus, get a best-in-class six-year powertrain warranty at no additional cost. Hurry in today for the hot deals of summer. Offer ends August second, 2, 2016, subject to approved installment credit with John Deere Financial. Terms, conditions, exclusions, and warranty limitations apply. See dealer for details.
4: Visit your local John Deere dealer today to take advantage of special savings going on now. Find out more at myjohndeerdealer.com.